in the report they talked about, and this is very relevant given what's happening in Ukraine and, and Russia at the moment, because they talk about scenarios where, and they outline different kinds of attacks that could happen, where when AI is deployed in a healthcare setting, how could malicious hackers interfere and the developers of the algorithm wouldn't even know that the data used to train the AI model that's maybe let's just use to predict whether the dose of the drug that needs to be given in intensive care, right, in a COVID ward, that algorithm could, the, could be modified and the data modified to cause harm. The developer, the tech developers wouldn't know, even though this is all regulated, the hospital staff wouldn't know un until people started dying. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of CX Insider. In today's episode, Simon and I talk to Manish Janeja, who will talk in detail about the future of the NHS and the current challenges the healthcare industry in the UK is facing. We will talk about futuristic technology, data privacy, cybersecurity, and much more, so stay tuned. Manish is a digital health futurist who has dedicated his entire career to studying and utilizing emerging technologies to improve people's quality of life. In the last decade, Manish has been helping various organizations from startups to governments, hospitals and pharmaceutical companies to foresee possible future scenarios. He's consulting companies how to become resilient, how to prepare for various outcomes of situations with, again, the help of technology, but also how to stay customer-focused and relevant to their customers' needs. Because Manish's area of specialization is healthcare and patient experience, today we will focus specifically on that and we will discuss the current challenges the NHS is facing in his perspective. But also, we will dive deep into some scary scenarios which, as we all know right now, are extremely realistic. So to understand the goal of today's conversation, let's start with Manish's ultimate vision of what he believes everyone should aim for, health beyond healthcare. When we think about our health, we often just think about what happens inside of the doctor's office or the hospital, and that data that is captured within that interaction with a healthcare professional that's stored in our medical record. And the thing is, though, our health, in terms of actually what influences our health, is largely what happens outside of a healthcare facility, uh, where data typically isn't captured, or although, although it's increasingly being captured. But essentially, our bodies are generating data 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And by and large, that data isn't being captured it isn't being analyzed, it isn't necessarily even being linked back to a medical record that is uh, uh, updated whenever we visit the doctor. So when I th try and explain to people, what do I mean about health beyond healthcare? Here are a few examples. So let's just say it's your back pain, lower back pain, um, that is caused by working from home at the kitchen table, you don't have your normal office chair, or maybe you can't sleep and you're having insomnia because you've got noisy neighbors, or even the impact of traffic jams that we get stuck in on the way to work and that impact on our mental health and stress levels. So the bottom line is I'm trying to point out that we need to be, if we really want to understand people's health 
and what happens over time and also tying into this prevention agenda that at least here in the UK there is a focus on how do we prevent people from becoming patients? How do we intervene and nudge them to make healthier choices? Well, that requires ultimately data and information about what is happening to each of us outside of the hospital, outside of the doctor's clinic, and then being able to nudge us to better health so that actually we do get back on that healthy path and we don't end up being a patient or needing to use the NHS. The concept of health beyond healthcare could enormously impact and potentially improve quality of our health. No surprise that there are companies outside the healthcare industry that are developing technologies of which secondary function is to keep you healthy. For example, there was, I read about Herman Miller, the people, the company that makes uh, office equipment, chairs and desks, and they were talking about launching an operating system for their desks and chairs so that the chair is smart enough and has the sensors to track your posture. And when you're slouching or you're slouching too much, that information is recorded and that information is sent to yourself and even possibly to your manager at work. And then, you know, you think about that that scenario then, that um, how many days at work are lost to sickness because of back pain? And you think about an office chair and a desk and a combination that is integrated and emailing you when you have been um, slouching a lot or your posture's bad and you're at risk of lower back pain. And so somehow there's a feedback loop to try and you know, improve your posture at work. And then there's, I, I know that there's a, a vision from Audi in Germany who make cars. And it's, they're not the only car manufacturer looking at this. I know there are others looking at this, but the future of, of the car with health sensors that track your health as you drive, and in particular, your emotional state. And perhaps even the car knowing that you are too tired or too stressed and to reduce the risk of an accident you it, it reminds you to pull over and so they're talking about i think audi were talking about cars with empathy and ai and again if you think about how going back to when i talked about health beyond healthcare, that that's another example where these are organizations and sectors that you wouldn't think of impacting our health are saying hey look um, health and well-being is going to be of increased importance. How can we play a role? But I'm going to go into another example. But um, it's also the pandemic has made everyone realize that keeping people healthy and giving ordinary people or giving the population tools and techniques to help stay healthy is not just of importance in terms of reducing the burden on the healthcare system because you want to keep people out of hospital, but actually economically, you want to keep people healthy so that they can go into work and they can contribute and, uh, and the economy um, is stable. You know, the third example I've got is, this is research at the moment, so it's not actually, well, actually, it's two, two aspects. One is some of us have used smart speakers where we speak to this device like uh, Amazon Alexa, Google Home, we ask for the weather, the news, whatever. And researchers are working on what they call vocal biomarkers. So could one day 
an algorithm be embedded in your smart speaker. So as we are speaking to and asking for the news and blah, 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 it's analyzing the sound of our voice time after time. And the algorithm that has been clinically validated, this is the hope, can actually detect early signs of disease, whether it's early signs of Alzheimer's, early signs of Parkinson's disease, or even possibly early signs of depression. And you think about, well, that sounds really futuristic, but this is what researchers are working on. Now, it's another story whether we as consumers in our home want a device from an American big tech company to be analyzing our voice and possibly determining whether we have an early a, a risk of an, a particular disease. Um, but just going back to where we are even today, so there's an American company called Teladoc Health. They have just announced a partnership with Amazon Alexa, whereby I think it's at least in the US. So Teladoc is uh, used for telemedicine normally, but here they're talking about being able to um, have a conversation with a doctor using Amazon Alexa for non-emergency conditions, so things like flu symptoms, uh, minor illnesses. So, but these are this is another channel or another way or in terms of how um, health is going beyond the healthcare system itself, especially using sort of these internet-connected devices that are in our homes. The idea of all these different kinds of technologies that are constantly generating data about your body to prevent serious diseases or detect an early stage of a health problem sounds truly desirable. But before we dive deep into the problematic of these almost futuristic systems, let's address some of the current issues the NHS is facing. We are, unfortunately, we've inherited in the NHS in the UK, we've inherited a lack of joined up thinking when it comes to healthcare. So many different parts of the NHS doing their own thing, different computer systems in the same hospital, uh, information can't be shared, which, and if you think about the best customer experiences we've had in our lives outside of healthcare, it's because data is shared and there's a unified frictionless experience. So give you an example. Um, if you walk into an NHS hospital today, there are pockets of innovation within the NHS, but if you walk into an NHS hospital, because it's secondary care, they're unable to access my medical records from primary care, i.e. where I've seen my GP. So the burden often falls onto the patient to bring information along with them from their primary care experience to help the people in the hospital figure out what they need to do clinically. Now, to give you a practical example of where, how challenging it can be and how some patients are fortunate that they're digital and connected and savvy like that, I went to urgent care hospital in the NHS uh, a few years ago. I was able to open the NHS app on my phone um, and, I, and to help the clinical staff there because they couldn't access my, my medical records from primary care. I said, look, I'm going to open the NHS app. I'm going to open my medical records. I'm going to share with you what the GP has written in my medical records that will help you determine clinically what to do next as well as obviously hearing my symptoms and my story. So that was amazing, I thought, because in one way, the patients are, are the glue in a system which where the, the, the system doesn't talk to each other, right? So the patients are helping or managing to be that bridge. But the burden is falling onto me as a patient. What if I wasn't rich enough to afford a, f a latest smartphone, know how to use the NHS app, have it downloaded, and then be quick thinking to think in the urgent care part of the hospital, hey, um, you don't, you can't access my medical records, so you're, you're kind of 
uh, you're not sure entirely how to proceed. Oh, I know. I'll show you my med- medical records on my phone. But why should it be such a burden on the patient? Because think about it. I was talking to the nurse who saw me, and she said, "Like you can do this, Manish." But if it was a patient who was 85 years old with maybe dementia, some other health problems, um, is she or he or she going to be able to do what you've just done in terms of helping us and filling those gaps? Um, and the other thing is that we have, like I said, we have pockets of innovation with the NHS. There, there are great things that happen, but we also have an issue with layers of digital veneer. What do I mean by digital veneer? So often it's like, let's create a digital service, let's create a website. And this happens not just in the NHS, but in many sectors, let's digitize a process. But even after digitization, the process remains flawed. The experience for the consumer, for the patient remains flawed. Because on the surface, it looks like we've ticked a lot of boxes when it comes to digital transformation. Hey, we've got an app, we've got a website. But the actual experience, because the process hasn't been improved before they've digitized it it's the same crappy process with a layer of digital veneer and so that is what is contributing to people saying well we've invested a few million pounds in creating this digital service in healthcare and wait a minute people the doctors are not liking it the patients not liking it because they haven't looked at fundamental processes first they just digitize things straight away and that's one of my frustrations On one hand, we are talking about some really advanced technologies that are measuring your posture while working and reporting it to your manager. And on the other, the current digital processes that are supposed to make your life easier are doing the opposite, like in the following example. So I recently went for another blood test, routine blood test. Now, my GP had said, "Okay, you're going to go to this hospital, Manish, and uh, here's the form I've emailed you the form that you print out and take to the hospital on the day on the day of your blood test you have a fixed appointment time now and i think i had waited about two months because during covid we have long del- even bigger delays for getting routine care so i waited two months for this blood test appointment then when i went there that morning and i turned up at 8:15 i realized as i walked in to the hospital in the blood test area it says please have your blood test form from your gp ready for reception i thought oh my god i forgot to print it out before i came and it was an hour journey to get to the hospital so then i asked the person reception look i've got an appointment 8:15 it's like 8:10 now i know you need this form printed out but i i forgot to print it out but i've got my smartphone with the form here you go no we can't accept that we need a paper form printed out so like, oh my god like okay hold on a second then what's your email address because I'll email it to you right now and then you can print it out and use it however you want to do no manish no we can't do that we can't we have no way of, of you transferring this form to us digitally it's going oh my god what do i do like i've traveled an hour for this blood test and i've waited two months for it uh, because of the delays at the moment with covid so they said i tell they said what you can do is if you go to a local printing copy shop go there outside the hospital um you can print it there upload it print it and then come back and you know even if you come back after now we will still squeeze you in somehow in this morning's appointments i thought okay cool they said by the way if you do print your uh form uh there at the print shop it's it's not necessarily secure so because the nhs number there is a date of birth etc what blood test you're having 
somebody may see that so it's not private just to be aware I was like oh my god like another thing to be thinking about right so this burden falling on the patients I went to the printing shop outside the hospital doesn't open until 9 30. I thought what do I do I've got other things to do during the day so I found a printing machine that's open 24 hours a day that was at a tube station about 45 minutes walk from the hospital so I walked 45 minutes managed to upload the file and set up the account on this printing machine in the tube station, um, print my paper form for the blood test, walk 45 minutes back, and they managed to see me and take the blood. Um, but I just thought, what? When we think about our interactions with organizations as a consumer and how seamless things can be and how many organizations from a customer perspective focus relentlessly on making the experience as hassle-free as possible. And then here you have what I've described as, oh, this is like you, this is unnecessary aggravation and stress. It doesn't have to be this way. Other underlying issues that touch on the problematic of creating multiple streams of data about your health are, one, how do you put all this information together and enable a seamless experience? Second, what if people don't trust you and they have a legitimate reason to be doubtful? If we are serious about improving the health of the country, we're going to have to link together lots of different data sets about our health. As I mentioned, you know, we have a challenge that we only have a snapshot of what happens to you in the hospital. We need to have all this information linked together, both inside of healthcare and outside, to truly understand what impacts our health over time, where best to intervene, and to predict changes in our health. Then you throw in artificial intelligence and all these algorithms, it becomes even more critical that we engage with people at all levels to let them have a say in how their health data are collected, shared and used. And so what's happened in the past is that there have been efforts in this country to try and create a central database in the NHS um, with very noble aims. But the trouble is, and I think that backfired, I can't remember the exact name for that project, but it backfired a few years ago because they fail. They just thought like, we know what's best for the population. We're going to collect this data. We're going to use it for public health to improve patient care. They did not understand that people want to be consulted. People want to be involved. And, and it's about, so when we are thinking about, you know, building, retaining consumer trust, considering all these privacy concerns, it is about co-creating these new products and services in this digital era and, and especially when it comes to an AI and we have the concepts of bias and how um, possibly this this algorithm could work against me because I'm a person of color and people of color in the NHS data maybe have they don't uh, the data itself is biased that feeds into the algorithm so right now this is why it's um, so critical that healthcare um, continues this shift from being paternalistic of knowing what's best for you, the system, to one of, hey, actually, you know what? We're going to treat you as a partner in your own healthcare. And in particular, when it comes to data, it doesn't matter whether you have a PhD or whether you've left school at 14. We are going to find a way, as the NHS in the UK, to give you a chance to be involved and shape how this data is collected and used and shared. 
Manish mentioned the potentials of artificial intelligence in healthcare, but not that many people actually talk about the possible risks this technology is carrying. We are getting into the bigger challenge of this, and that's the scary possibility of hacking the algorithm. So right now, a lot of what I'm looking at is actually about artificial intelligence in healthcare, but uh, with with respect to ethics and the governance of AI and healthcare, and actually the darker side, such as um, cybersecurity, in terms of what if somebody has got, somebody's using AI in the hospital, and there are, and the, and the, the AI model gets hacked by hackers, and that AI model actually has the algorithm changed without anybody in the hospital knowing it, knowing, and that actually can cause harm to patients and that you've got these malicious hacking. And so people aren't talking about this yet. They're just talking about, like, let's use AI in healthcare because it's going to reduce costs, improve outcomes, reduce wait times. But there are so many uh, risks in AI that we are still not discussing when it comes to the ethics and, and what happens when things go wrong. You might think this could only happen in the worst of the worst scenarios. And you're absolutely right. But we have to acknowledge the fact that there is cyber war in Ukraine and Russia at the moment, and now more than ever, despite how much you hate this phrase, and we've heard it enough times, but now more than ever, cybersecurity should be the top priority. Not only because of malicious hackers, but because institutions are understandably highly motivated to collect as much data about you as possible. There is a WHO report published August last year looking at AI, ethics of AI, ethics and governance of AI for health. In the report, they talked about, and this is very relevant given what's happening in Ukraine and, and Russia at the moment, because they talk about scenarios where, and they outline different kinds of attacks that could happen, where when AI is deployed in a healthcare setting, how could malicious hackers interfere and the developers of the algorithm wouldn't even know that the data used to train the AI model that's maybe let's just use to predict whether the dose of the drug that needs to be given in intensive care, right, in a COVID ward, that algorithm could, the, could be modified and the data modified to cause harm. The developer, the tech developers wouldn't know, even though this is all regulated, the hospital staff wouldn't know un until people started dying because they've been, the algorithm told the clinician to give the wrong dose. Now, remember, we are heading towards this future where so many people are under pressure. And imagine, you know, as in under pressure to say, we have to find ways to incorporate AI into clinical decision making. And, and remember, a lot of this is, a, is almost like a race. We want to be the first NHS hospital to use AI for dermatology. So there's almost like this ego coming in, like, you know, we have to be first to deploy or partner with Google. And so when we are caught up again in that rush for digital veneer, people are ne not necessarily thinking about um, the bigger picture and holistically all the different things that could go wrong. And so they're kind of like, it's almost like, well, hey, Manisha's is talking about stuff that's stuff of science fiction. But this is a probable scenario, but it's a scenario that many in leadership don't want to consider. So, you know, if we don't consider it, it's not there as a risk. But we get a cool award because we're the first NHS trust to implement AI in the ICU. What people don't realize is that there is a global race 
by many organizations to accumulate as much data on our health as possible, both inside the healthcare facility and outside and link it all together so that they are able to provide new products and services. And I don't think we realize just how uh, important it is then for us as individuals and collectively as a society to say, hey, where is our data being stored? And what rights do I have? And are my rights slowly slipping away? Because we're not even part of these conversations. We're not even aware of how these health data vaults are being built around the world. And we need to we need to be involved in those conversations. And it's not just about having one patient group having uh, being input uh, and treated as a stakeholder, but genuinely getting the masses to understand data is going to be the currency of these algorithms powering artificial intelligence. AI is being seen as a future for so many services, not just in healthcare. Your data is going to be really powerful. So you need to be able to have a say about your data. Moving away from what's happening now, let's focus on the healthcare system in 10 years' time with a more positive outlook. I think because the NHS is might come across to us here in the UK as a single brand, it's not a unified organisation. Things are changing, but there are so many different organisations. So we are going to have put, put pressure, whether we are a policymaker, whether we are a uh, tech supplier providing the NHS, whether we're a patient, a member of the public, for the NHS to really focus on unifying their systems, to focus on ensuring the data about each of us flows within the healthcare system. And if you think about from a customer experience perspective, we've got to get to that point that regardless of where we interact with the NHS, each of those touch points has to be the same high-end um, high experience, frictionless experience. So like I said, you've got aspects of the NHS which are great when it comes to digital, but that's not repeated at every hospital, every interaction with the healthcare system here. So in terms of in 10 years' time, I'm hoping that the work that's going on behind the scenes, as well as this push from everyone in this country for the NHS to transform digitally, we will have the, in, the whole patient journey being considered rather than just let's design a bunch of individual interactions which are great digitally, but they're not linked up. They're not seamless. And so we, we need to be thinking about end-to-end, -end, and it's organizing these services around people. So if I'm somebody using the NHS and I have lower back pain, so whether I reach out to my GP, whether I'm dealing with the physiotherapist, and these may all be sitting on different systems, that experience as a patient, consumer, customer for me, that in 10 years' time should be seamless. I'm fingers crossed it is seamless and I don't have to worry about paper forms and you know apps that aren't able to connect my data and the other thing though that I think in 10 years time the big shift in my opinion will be so whether it's the fact that we have an increasingly aging population or we have rising costs of caring for people once they get sick there is a focus in the NHS 
about prevention and keeping people out of hospital and wellness. So that will be a big driver in 10 years' time, much bigger than today, in terms of using digital tools to personalize not only your healthcare, but personalize prevention. So at the moment, we all might be subject to this generic message of walk 10,000 steps a day, sleep eight hours a night, right? Get five portions of fresh fruit and vegetables. But what we're going to need, and hopefully the NHS will be able to move towards this with input from others, is that I want the NHS to tell me what's optimal for me and people like me. So how much sleep should I be having? How much, uh, how much activity, physical activity do I need? What's, what's the best intervention to keep somebody like me healthy and the people from a data perspective if I sit into a particular segment people like me healthy rather than these generic messages that often fall on deaf ears because hey it doesn't take into account that I'm an uber driver for example and I sit in my car 12 13 hours a day I don't have a chance to walk, walk 10,000 steps a day so I want personalized prevention I want personalized healthcare, but using again these digital tools these digital nudges that are supposed to nudge me to make healthier choices should be compatible with my life and whether it's my income one, my education levels, my digital literacy. So what's the point of developing an app that requires an iPhone 10 or above when you've got a, a cohort of the population that are have poor health, but they've got an, they, they don't have the latest iPhones that are, are required to run these apps. Does that make sense? It's about, um, in terms of the patient experience in 10 years' time, the key theme is about um, inclusive design. So we've got to design so that it's not just people like me who can afford a lot of these technologies and digital savvy, but it's about as many people in the country as possible able to benefit from these new digital tools and innovations. With this unified system carrying data from all sorts of sources, there's also a risk of creating a massive gap between patients who require a preventative healthcare checkup because their app detected a, health, a possible health risk and the actual capacity of hospitals and medical staff to carry out all these appointments. So one of the areas when it comes to the patient experience of the future is if we're talking about prevention and trying to predict when uh, people are going to have early signs of a disease. We're using all these new sensors and we are able to monitor people in their own homes 24 hours a day, seven days a week, right? But the problem is that healthcare at the moment is structured around the fact that you have some symptoms or you get to a point where you need emergency care, you go to the hospital, you get an intervention. But if we're talking about this bold future where, hey, we can prevent people from getting sick, we can predict early signs of a disease, and this AI and machines can uh, uh, detect who's at risk um, through all these different scenarios. But then when you speak to people today, both inside and outside of healthcare, they're like wondering, we don't, we're not set up for this, for this future world where we have to intervene uh, because the computer has identified these are the 10 patients at risk in my community. So are we going to send a nurse? Are we going to send a doctor to their house? Are we going to send a text message? How does it all work? So we have this brave new world when it, especially when we think about customer experience, how does it work when these machines are flagging up all these scenarios and concerns and, hey, somebody's at risk of a fall in their own home, they're 85 years old. But then you speak to people and they're saying, so what, Manish? 
how does the system actually act upon these so many signals that are going to be generated by this technology so i think that's another big thing to incorporate when it comes to customer experience in in uh, you know over the next few years how does this all come together how does all this, all of this integrate when it's almost like you have different technologies and different pilots and innovations almost going at warp speed in different directions and we have to have bring it back and say what is this how do we just keep it to this unified streamlined experience where both me as a user of technology at home being monitored i'm not overwhelmed with alerts and signals and my doctor is not overwhelmed and saying I and saying I don't have the resources to act upon all these new signals that AI is flagging up because it can analyze a stream of data 24 hours a day from Manisha's toilet to figure out he's got early signs of a kidney disease. Finally, as we're getting to the end of the episode, Manish has one last tip to give the industry leaders. So one of the things that I think over the the next 10 years is the the NHS will have to recruit more customer experience people from other sectors outside of healthcare where maybe best practice and things that have been done are done in a, a, a better way than the NHS has done. And that's in order for the NHS here in the UK to really have the best chance of learning from all sorts of different sectors, having diverse ideas to get to that frictionless, seamless, unified experience when it comes to us as users, both patients using the NHS, but also for people working within the NHS, they also are desiring that amazing customer experience as a user of NHS systems working in a hospital, for example. And the last bit before we finish this episode is rapid fire questions. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And if you did, please don't forget to like, share, comment, or subscribe to the podcast on your preferred channel. And if you would like to know more about what Manish does, uh, feel free to connect with him on LinkedIn or check out his websites. Both links are provided in the episode description below. That's it. And I will see you in two weeks. Could you pick a project you worked on and you are most proud of? So probably one that made inst- uh, that led to instant change was uh, a few years ago when i was testing these conversational assistants i was testing like uh, the google and alexa and how they respond when you say i'm stressed i'm tired i'm sad i've cut myself i've hurt myself and i was testing microsoft's cortana as well and i was sharing this stuff on social media and just this is this is independently my own testing right and I tested Cortana and I said something like, uh, Microsoft Cortana, and I just said something like, uh, you know, I'm bleeding or I've cut myself or, you know, I've cut my arm off or something. And it just said, okay. And I was like, huh? And then actually it turned out that one of my followers on Twitter was somebody who worked at Microsoft in the Cortana team. And then he says, like, Manish, tell me a bit more about what you've just tested and watch and then he says i fixed it can you go in and try it again and see if it, it's been improved and then it, he had fixed it where it now said if you say you know i've cut myself it'll say like you know phone the nhs and for help etc and i just thought that was a really powerful example of how one person using social media can influence a large organization like microsoft to make a change like this in terms of this real world testing that I've been doing a lot of with consumer technology for health. 
What futuristic technology that could improve people's health fascinates you? So futuristic technology. So again, when I was thinking about, I was talking earlier about aging populations, I'm really interested in the possibility in the future that we, when we get old and we are frail, we become weak, we can't even, we have trouble walking up the stairs. And the whole point is that we want people to be able to age in their own homes without going into an institution, into a hospital, right? Because they're too weak to look after themselves and do ordinary things and keeping people's independence. I was thinking about robotic exoskeletons. What would it mean that, you know, 10, 20, 25 years in the future, if we, or even if we're young and we have a back pain injury or something goes wrong, we're unable to walk up the stairs, lift heavy items. Would there be robotic exoskeletons that we can rent Right, a bit like if you think about crutches that you might get given after you've broken your leg and you're walking around, what about a robotic exo exoskeleton that allows us to, even if we're 90 years old, to still play tennis, to still to go jogging even. Even though our physical body is getting old and isn't is ab uh, able to allow us to play tennis or go for a five-kilometer jog, but this robotic exoskeleton allows us to do those things. What is your favorite habit to stay healthy? Uh, my favorite habit to stay healthy um, is walking at sunrise every morning, whether it is half a mile, whether it's five miles, but walking at sunrise and seeing the sunrise is amazing.